This morning mess. Let's start this over. <laughs> this morning's message is one that I've been stewing on for a while. It's been floating around my heart and mind. I've been thinking about it. Something that I feel like the Lord's been teaching me for a long time, and only now am I starting to get the very basics of it. Maybe. <laughs> um, but maybe it was just me. But in my earlier days of being a Christian, still not that far along. Only, only been saved since. Uh, 2003, it's not that long. It's longer than some, but much shorter than, than most, I hope. But it seemed that the practical and the spiritual were two things. That one could be practical in life, or one could be spiritual. And that there were two silos, in a sense. And I, I'm probably highlighting this more than maybe I really thought, but I'm trying to make the point clear. And that at work, sometimes we have the, the division between digital and what we call traditional, where people who do print packaging, print advertisements, and those who make websites and banners and digital-oriented graphics and media. That there's a difference there because there's a difference in how they're laid out. There's a difference in how they work. There's a difference in the resolution and the colors and the functionality. And, you know, if you ask me to design a print piece, I might be able to do one because I've, I've done some before in my past. But... If you ask me to line up the lines to do a, a, a package or a magazine spread, I'm not going to remember what those things are. I don't do that day to day. And so I'll probably do something off or wrong or not best practice. And the same with the other side. And so we've been trying to, to tear that down a little bit at work so that we all kind of work together on things. Um, yeah, we still have our specialties, uh, but sometimes if we need to cross that aisle, we can do so. But I remember being said to me that I was too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And by the way, that's not scriptural. That's not a scripture verse. And I think, you know, in some sense that there's some value to all of this partly, you know, as far as being too heavenly minded to be any earthly good that, you know, I was being sanctified. Uh, still am, I hope. I was being stripped of my earthly habits. Still am, I hope being taken away from my ways into more godly ways, coming to Jesus, to cast away all those things I thought I knew how to do or all the ways I had been living uh, to begin living a new way. And sometimes the best way to do that is to throw everything out and start from scratch, to learn again, to learn to walk again. I was learning how to look at God and for the biblical answer to the solution, even in the sense, God, what toothpaste should I buy? <laughs> and practically it turned into me getting arm and hammer toothpaste because regular toothpaste bothers my mouth, but this toothpaste doesn't. And before we get into more of the meat of the message, I don't want you to think the wrong thing. I want you to hopefully understand where I'm coming from because I'm not discounting the spiritual in today's message, but I'm not exalting the practical above it either. I think that the church throughout history has struggled with this topic as well, so I know I'm not alone. The church has gone both ways. In one sense, it's probably gone far too practical in certain branches where it says that even the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in operation. In the other sense, it's gone far too spiritual in another direction, and it's forgotten how to apply the Scripture. It's forgotten how to practically live the Christian life, and they think they can do whatever they want because They've forgotten that the spiritual has a practical purpose. And that's the title of today's message, Practical Purpose. 
You know, I really struggled with the practical application of certain things, the practical things of life, a savings account. I still struggle with that, but maybe it's because there's no more money to stuff in there, but I'm trying. A career, buying a car, buying the right car, maintaining it. All these things were things I had, but I was not sure how to balance them. I didn't know how to do it before the Lord. I had my own ways. That didn't work. And I got saved and I still didn't know how to do the practical. There wasn't a lot of practical instruction from the pulpit. And there probably was some, but I didn't catch it. Because a lot of practical instruction doesn't come from the pulpit. It comes from discipleship. And I began to get those things. A friend took me to, to go get a car, and I kind of learned how to deal with that and getting a loan and all those things. He didn't co-sign for me, thankfully, but he showed me how to go through the process, and he, quote-unquote, held my hand through it. But for instance, my car would need brakes, but I wouldn't have the money to fix them. Even though I made more money at the time being single and having less bills somehow, I didn't have the money than I did even at times uh, when I made less money having two kids. I'd be praying and I'd be in need. God would help, sometimes through a friend, a Christian, or a pastor. But I believe I'd forgotten something somehow along the way, probably from all my years of sinful living, that God was starting to show me even at an early age. Maybe even playing Legos. Even before I had a relationship with Him. And the story of that that I want to share that I think is probably the most pivotal pivotal in my life that I probably missed the point of was I was uh, 12 years old, a week away from being 13, coming back from my brother's wedding in uh, West Virginia with my mom and her friend. And we were in my mom's car and we we're driving through the mountains. And we had a cell phone back then, I think, maybe, but the, you know, this was not even 1G. This was like half G. So you're in the mountains. There definitely wasn't service. I was driving through the mountains yesterday and got cut out as soon as I came across the Montana border from Idaho. So even today we have that, but then there was, there was none of that. And my mom's car got a flat tire and she doesn't know how to change a flat tire. Her friend doesn't know how to change a flat tire. We're in the middle of nowhere on the highway, a few cars going by occasionally, no one stopping. Um, someone does stop, but my mom is a little scared of them, maybe for good or bad, but they stopped. Uh, she waved them on and uh, it struck me, I need to do this. And so as my mom's hysterical with their friend, I go in the car, I look for the manual, I find where the tools and the tire are, I go get that little cheap jack and try and jack up this little tiny car, I have the little tool, the, the lug nut wrench to take it off, but my little hands are hurting on it, so I go grab a pair of my underwear, to be honest with you, and I put it on there to get more leverage and not hurt my hands, I get the tire changed, and I go to my mom. Tires change. We can go now. And that's what I remember of that. I don't know if she remembers it, but I remember it. And I'm sure if we had been praying, or if my mom had been praying, that somehow God used me to be the answer to that. Practically. Maybe someone, that person who stopped, could have changed it quicker. And I wouldn't have to learn how to change a flat tire that day. But I tell you, it's a good skill to have. And if you don't know how to do it, it's not that hard. There's a book in your car, hopefully, if you've been practical enough to leave it there. But that sometimes, and perhaps even most of the time, dare I say it, that the answer to our prayer is practical. It's 
right in front of us. I was reading a scripture the other day about making my path straight and laying out right in front of me. And then I actually read the same scripture the next day and God gave me another verse from before it that was right in front of me that I hadn't seen. You know, there's this cartoon about people on a roof during a flood praying for help. And God sends a helicopter to say, no, we're praying for help. And then God sends a boat and they go, no, we're praying for help. And the whole point of it is that this, the practical answer is right there in front of them, but they can't see it. And it's been said, I don't remember who quotes it, but if you bother taking care of something, you're rewarded with something you can rely on. If you do simple maintenance on your car, take care of things around the house. When it breaks, fix it right away. Don't let it go because something else is going to break and then you're going to have a pile of stuff that never gets broken and it's going to be big. Take care of it early on. And practicality is usually a very simple answer. When things are practical, sometimes it's so simple we discount it. But it's really the simplest of answers. Now, again, I'm not saying that practical is it or that all practical solutions or even just man's wisdom is always or even the right answer. The practical answer may not be the right answer. You may have to wait. I remember needing a job and praying about a job and having an offer and God told me not to take that job. And practically, you go, that's putting the cart before the horse. You should have taken the job because you need one. Well, God told me not to, and a week later, I got a much better job that actually would have met my needs and allowed me to stay doing the ministry that I love to do. And again, I'm not saying that I get it all or do it all or have all the answers or the things I've done practically or been learning have done even remotely right. But again, I'm just starting to learn it. And the point is, I want you to get it. Now that I know how to fix certain things on my car, I want you to know how relatively simple it is. Maybe you'll never have a passion for it, but I want you to see you can change your tire. You can change your oil. If something really breaks, you can save thousands of dollars, perhaps if you just try. And if it's not for you, that's fine. Maybe there's something else you can do. I'm not a good cook. Practically, I'll probably always eat cereal and spaghetti and Foreman grill if anything ever happened to my wife. That's what we would eat. <laughs> Practically, I'm not a good cook. But what I want you to get is that when living a life led by the Spirit, instructed by the Word, and seeking God first, that the practical has a purpose in accomplishing the spiritual. I'll say that again, that living a life led by the Spirit, instructed by the Word, and seeking God first, that the practical has a purpose in accomplishing the spiritual. And you know what? The spiritual gives purpose in accomplishing the practical. When God gives you direction and purpose in life, going to work every day is not so hard anymore. Sometimes it is, but you know you have purpose in it. Doing the things that are chores and trudging and day-to-day -day practical life all of a sudden have purpose in them, and you find ways to serve God in them, and you might even hear God speak to you in them. Matthew 6, 25-34, we know this, but... Let's hear from the Lord Jesus and what he says about these things to set us off in hopefully the right direction. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. How much of our worry is based just on practical things and not on spiritual things? What you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body or what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. You know, as I was finishing studying and printing, a little birdie came and was eating right outside my window, and I just had to watch it for a minute. 
Because are you have not uh, your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, could add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. Now, the Lord's saying, don't care at all. God, if you take scripture in its entirety, you see that he does tell you to plan and purpose. But what he's saying is not to worry. You can't control it. In the end, you've got to trust him. And in the beginning, you've got to look to him. Do not worry. To be truly practical in life, we must not worry. And again, this should not be because of self-confidence in our practical ability. Just because I can change a tire doesn't mean that I don't pray before I go on a trip. God, please uh, get me there safe. Let, let there be no issue. But you know what? I bring tools with me. When I go on a real long trip, I bring extra supplies. Why? Well, probably because I've been there and I don't want to be in that situation again. But that's a good way to learn that Man, if I am in that situation, I've got all these kids in the car, my wife, I don't have to wait three hours for a tow truck and depend on someone else. I can get out of the car and get on the side of the road. I can jack it up, put a new tire on, and I can put duct tape on that hose. I can zip tie that fender and be good to go. But again, that's not my trust. That's not where I put my faith. Because our faith and our trust and our hope should be in God. And from there is how we go. From there is where we get practical in life. Proverbs 16.9, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. We figure out and we plan what to do, but as we begin to step out, God begins to guide us and lead us. And I can't explain it other than that. You know, that we have these plans, but God sorts it out. Because you know what? With God, we can do a lot more than we think. We can fix things we didn't know we could fix. We can make things we didn't know we could make. We could do things we never thought we could do. We could go places we never thought we'd go. Because with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And again, I'm only taking the very practical part of that scripture. But it has application. That man, I couldn't do half the things I do today 10 years ago. But I do now. Why? Because, well, God had me in situations where I couldn't afford to do these other things any other way. And so what was the most practical solution? Me figuring out how to get a little dirty and, and take care of myself. But I couldn't have done that if God didn't give me the strength, if I didn't have God watching over me to take away my fear and to give me confidence to do it. And there's a saying, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. No matter how carefully a project is planned, something will still go wrong with it. Even as much as we plan, as much as we're practically prepared, it doesn't cover all the bases and it never perfectly works. If you've ever worked on a car to stay with this story, you'll know that nothing ever goes perfectly to plan. There's always rust. There's always something that breaks. There's always something that should take five minutes that takes four hours. And then sometimes there's something that takes, should take four hours, but there's no rust and it takes four minutes. But sincerely, you haven't really known frustration until you try to take apart a car that was driven in the Northeast. But there's a saying in war, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. A lot of times you plan your purpose in war and sports, but then when you get on the field, 
basically literally all hell breaks loose and you have to kind of come up with a plan on the fly but the point is you go in with a plan you have good intentions and then you have to be able flexible enough to modify it as things begin to blow up and things begin to happen or the team begins to react in a different way because we can all have the best plans in the world but we can never plan for everything we looked at a house yesterday that had plenty of preps in the basement i was like this is awesome this is what i want to have and even more but you know what that's it's not going to last forever the house may burn down in, in the zombie apocalypse. You may not have all that stuff, but sincerely, it's not, it's not bad to plan and not bad to purpose, but to not make it the, the, the center of your faith and what you truly rely on. Because we can never be prepared for everything. And yet the scripture instructs us, if we're wise, it says in Proverbs 6, 6-11, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers your food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. You know, in times past when I've, the alarm's gone off and I haven't wanted to get up for work, I find myself laying on my back and folding my hands as I remember the scripture and I get up and get out of bed because I don't want my need to come upon me like an armed man and sleep through my alarm and miss work and not get that paycheck. But God is saying here, hey, lazy man, hey, lazy person, do you know why you don't have what you need right now? Because you're not being practical. You're not working. Get a job. You're not saving up. You have extra money? Start putting some away. You're sleeping in when you should be out working to provide. And 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-12 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, but we wrought with labor and travail day and night, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we not have power, but to make ourselves an example to you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. You know, going around gossiping, going from house to house, taking food and hanging out, being lazy. Oh, we don't need to work. Why would I have to work if you're giving me handouts? Verse 12, Now then, that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. That if you don't work, you don't eat. It's very practical. Now, it's a different, it's a different story. If you're working hard and you're not making ends meet, and you know God is not saying, oh, it's your fault. You don't have enough food on the table. It's your fault. You're poor no matter you work hard. But he, what he's saying to those who can work and don't work, those who have the ability or are just too lazy or are just taking advantage of others, get to work. And even to those in ministry, Paul and the other disciples and knew how to fund their missions trips. They didn't do fundraisers. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a fundraiser. Some people make the money, and God uses them to make the money to send others to go. But what I'm saying is, Paul and the other guys didn't wait around for the fundraiser. They said, we're going to go follow, the God, follow God. We're going to go get a job, and we're going to work hard. Why? Because we don't want people to bless us. We don't want people to think they have to pay us for the gospel. We want them to be able to come and hear the gospel for free and not have to worry about giving us any money. And the men who followed Jesus, they worked hard. 
those couple of years they followed Jesus around, there wasn't much work going on them, so they did a couple of things. They had a money bag, but they left their jobs. But you know what? After that, they went back to work to fund the ministry. And their spiritual aim was the gospel and not hindering, hindering it. They paid their own way to do so. Again, nothing wrong with missionaries, nothing wrong with supporting them. I think we should. But you know what? The missionary shouldn't wait. The missionary should follow God. But God will provide, brother. Sure he will. And it may come by a miracle. It may come by an envelope in the mail. There's a time I remember I was, couldn't afford gas and I went and spent my last $10 on gas and I didn't have any other money. My God, I really need, really need help. I'm trying to find work. I don't have a job. I'm trying to do things just down and out. And I go to the mailbox and there's an envelope. I can't recognize the handwriting. There's no return address. It's got a whole bunch of cash in it. It's happened maybe twice in my life. Did I pray after that all the time? God, please let there be an envelope full of cash in here. Sure. But you know what? God knew my need. But that's not always the way he's going to come through. It might be through the kindness of others. It might be like when they had to pay the temple tax, a coin in a fish's mouth. But nine times out of ten... It's going to come by you and I being practically obedient to the spiritual precepts. There's a lot of practical instruction in the Bible that I think we're missing out on because we don't pay attention to where we don't read to. And we wonder why perhaps we're missing out on God's blessing. Now again, does this rule out spiritual intervention? Does this rule out a miracle by the hand of God? Absolutely not. God's intervention will always surpass any practical purpose or any practical effort like with jacob we've been reading in genesis he would just do these things and make this deal and yet somehow god would absolutely bless an absolutely ridiculous deal that wasn't in his favor at all we see elijah he was fed by ravens by a brook when he was on the run but he didn't get a job god brought food to him but john the baptist and jesus said if you can handle it elijah he ate bugs and honey god didn't send him food the way you and I might expect, you know, one of those food delivery services or a delivery driver to pull up. Hey, I've got Uber Eats for you. John the Baptist looked around and said, God provided that bug for me to eat. God provided this honey. And I'm so concerned about being heaven, heavenly minded that I don't care if there's bugs and honey in my beard. Because I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm making straight the way of the Lord. And that's the purpose of my life. You and I might go, well, I ain't eating bugs. Well, Okay, we don't have to. We get a job. If you don't eat bugs, get a job. So that's why I work. I don't want to eat bugs. We look at a story about Elisha and the widow's oil. In 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets of Elisha, saying, The servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take him unto my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your handmaid has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. So this lady, her husband's died. They've got debts that are being called in. Maybe they owe in the house and the creditor's coming and he's going to take her kids away to be slaves. And that's the way we see when I was at AIM, a lot of these girls in Southeast Asia are sold into slavery because their parents get into debt and the loan shark comes and that's the only way to pay them off. So Elijah says to her, Elisha says to her, go borrow three vessels abroad of thy neighbors. Go to, your go to your neighbors, get every piece of Tupperware 
every jar, every mason jar you can get for them, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Get as much as you can. Ask them for all they have in that drawer. And when you come in, you shall shut the door upon you and your sons. You shall pour out into all those vessels, pour your oil you have. You shall set aside that which is full. So she went to him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass that when the vessels were full, she said unto her son, Bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And then the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God, he said, Go, sell the oil, pay the debt, and live you and your children of the rest. He's saying, Get as much as you can. Take the little jar of olive oil you have in the kitchen, begin to pour it into each of these vessels. And as she did that, the little jar that she had didn't run out over and over. That's why he said, get as much as you can. Borrow everything you can. In faith, go out and do everything you can possible, even when it doesn't make sense. And God began to fill them all up. And he said, "Go." what did she have to do? Was it full of money? No, she then had to take that oil and work and sell it. And when she did, guess what? She had enough to pay off her debt. And she had enough even left over to live. So I don't know if that's a retirement or 401k, how much it was, but it was a lot of oil. And you know what? If she didn't, if she held back and didn't get as many as she could, maybe she would have had just enough to pay off the debt and not enough to live off. I don't know. There's a whole message in there. But she had a real need. And God met her need in faith. As she said, look, my husband's a man of faith. Man of God, please help. What do we do? Give me some wisdom from God. But it was still her duty to sell what God gave her to meet her physical needs. And God will always meet our spiritual needs. We'll never have to go without our spiritual needs being met. But you know what? We may go hungry. We may be shipwrecked and naked like Paul on a mission trip. But God never left him. And sometimes, you know what? We already have that provision. But it's just not organized properly. I just want to, before I get to that point, I want to make sure that I'm saying, you know, that Paul knew how to abase and knew how to abound. I want to make sure I'm not skipping that because that belongs here. And you know what? Paul knew how to be abased, knew how to abound. He knew how to have money. He knew how to be poor. He knew how to be in chains. He knew how to be a free man. And God never left him. God never left him. And with that, sometimes we already have the provision. We don't need to go out and get a bunch of jars and oil from our friends. We just haven't organized our, our stuff properly. Think about Joseph and Pharaoh's dream. God gives Pharaoh this dream about seven plenty years and seven famine years. This is a worldly nation. God had purposes in it to bring his people there and save Israel and even save Egypt and the nations around him through this. Because he was telling them, you have everything you need to make it through this famine. But you're going to need to just take care of it, right? When the seven good years come, you're not going to be living and lounging around and turning your corn into gasoline for your cars, you're going to be storing it up. And God gave Joseph the gift of administration to oversee that. Joseph saw what it was all about because God showed it to him. And so Joseph became the practical steward of all the riches of Egypt because he was spiritual. I think of the helps ministry sheet at the church in New York where it would list all your bills and finances or doing Crown Financial or another uh, Dave Ramsey type thing where you go through and you list out all your finances and see what they are and your bills. And that's one really good step to trying to figure out your finances, just, just laying it out all in front of you. How much am I paying? What am I paying on? You know, you look at your checkbook, you can see 
where all your finances go quickly. You can look at your bank statement and determine these things. You can get programs even for free to help you figure this out. But sometimes in order to meet that need, you need to reorganize your budget. You need to figure out, you need to figure out, you know, why can't I make my bills? Why can't I pay this? Well, you have a Lexus, $700 a month car payment. What if you sell that car and get something with a cheaper payment? Maybe $200 a month. Now you've got $500 extra a month. Or what if you sell that car and you buy a used car and don't have a payment at all? It's not fancy. It's not flashy. Hopefully it's reliable. But now you're going to have all that extra money to go towards what you need. And that's part of what it is, is when you come to a helps ministry is that you go through and you check to make sure that there's not stuff on there, not luxuries that, honestly, in this stage of your life, you need to cut. But the problem tends to be is that we won't do it. We don't do it because we idolize the thing we have to get rid of, let go of, sell, repurpose. We've got some vanity. We idolize a certain lifestyle. In the end, we want a lifestyle that has the most practical purpose. But the problem is that that practical purpose we want might be to make us look good. Might be for other people to think that we're richer than we are. Might be for an idol. Instead of that lifestyle practically serving a purpose, God's purpose. So it's probably serving a God's purpose, but is it the God's purpose? But God moves his people throughout history. And sometimes what did he use? He used tough times. Israel, they, were out, they, they had to get kicked out of Egypt, chased out of Egypt for them to go in the wilderness. Do you think they would have stayed there if they didn't think Pharaoh wanted to kill them? Or Pharaoh tried to kill them? The church wasn't leaving Jerusalem, wasn't going into all the world. So what did God send? Persecution and diaspora. And so the church spread. I have to wonder, even now personally, as we have to move again, is God just putting us on the move to get us in the right house that we wouldn't have been looking for if we didn't have to move? And again, I don't know how that, all that works eternally, but God always has a purpose in what he's doing in your and our life. Sometimes it's to get our attention. Sometimes it's to correct us. Sometimes it's to move us into a place we need to be moved that we might not have gone otherwise. But Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. You know, spread out your finances. Maybe one bank will go, over, go under. I mean, thankfully we have the FDIC right now. Uh, who insurance is, uh, insures bank accounts up to a certain amount and other accounts. So that way, you know, the financial crash happens again, like in 1929, you'll get your money back. But if everything crashes, will you? Because they just keep printing more money. So how does that work? <laughs> if you ever look at societies that fail and, you know, like World War II with the Deutschmark, you know, they were one of the richest countries. And then all of a sudden people were bringing like wheelbarrows of Deutschmarks and not worth anything. Even now in Venezuela or other countries. But spread out your finances. Put them in different bank accounts and different investments. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, as it's been said. Even with your hobbies, your dreams, your goals, see which one God might begin to bless feel like doing something, start doing it. See if God blesses. If he doesn't, okay, move on to something else. Maybe he'll even bless all of them, and you'll have all these different things to do and take care of, and maybe even passive income. That's what I hope one day is that as uh, hopefully we can invest in a house, then begin to have a little more money to invest in other things and take care of other things and maybe do businesses or other things on the side elsewhere, but just see what God might bless and might be even more free to accomplish his purpose. 
You know, imagine someone who owns a bunch of apartments. They say real estate's really good, but if you own a bunch of places and you hire, you know, all that income from all those places pays for the landlord or pays for the maintenance and you just get this passive income, all of a sudden you don't have to work anymore. But, you know, it does take money to make money. So, uh, got to start with a job. That's always the first thing, start with a job. Again, I'm not saying name it and claim it. God, this is what I want. Give it to me. But I'm saying is, you're already spiritual. Great. Now let's learn to be practical too. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And he's talking about ministry. But I think that that can be applied to, hey, you got to make a deal. Don't give them everything they want. Deal with them. There's nothing wrong with haggling and dealing and making sure you get a good deal. Don't Just don't be a jerk about it. But be wise. Don't be foolish going into the marketplace. I think a lot of Christians were so heavenly minded that when it comes to the world, we just throw out all wisdom and act foolish and don't know how to handle day-to-day things. And the world looks on and goes, they can't even do that. Why would I believe in their God? Like God doesn't provide for them. Look at their life. Well, God is providing them. Maybe they're just not taking care of it. And again, that can't be a blanket statement. Because there's so many different things that go on and God uses different people in different ways. But I'm saying, I think a a lot of the time, we're just not practical enough. Luke 16, 1-13, Jesus says to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What am I going to do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. You know, I'm not going to go work construction. I'm ashamed to beg. I'm not going to go live off the lamb. I have resolved to do that when I am put out of the stewardship that I may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and just write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when they fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That puts that last verse in the a little bit of different context than we normally take it, don't we? Jesus is saying this guy was so wise, he realized he was getting fired. He's not going to go work at, you know, he's, a, he's an office manager. He handles debts. He's a banker. He's not going to go work construction. He's not going to go beg. Uh, so he goes to everyone who owes money. Hey, hey, cut it in half, cut it in half. So that way he's got to deal with all these guys that they'll take care of him because he took care of them. Now, was it totally right for him to do that? You know, I mean, there's probably interest on the debts. And so basically he's just cutting their interest and cutting a deal with them. And, you know, it's definitely a selfish motive. But God commends him because he's like the people of the world know how to be so shrewd and get things done and take care of things. But the people of the light, why have you forgotten how to handle things? And he says, if you don't know how to handle earthly things, how can I tell you heavenly? And that's why God gave all those parables because he knew they couldn't handle them. And as we begin to handle the practical things God gives us, he gives us more and more. 
Because if, if we can't take care of the practical, is there any proof we can take care of the spiritual? And vice versa, if we do take care of the spiritual, we, real, we will truly take care of the practical. You can't say you're spiritual and not be living a practical life that follows it. Doesn't mean you'll be rich, doesn't mean you have the nicest things, doesn't mean you'll be the most successful in the world standards. What I'm saying is, if you truly are spiritual, you'll do the practical. I've heard, I remember it said a long time ago, it takes more Holy Spirit to do the dishes sometimes than it does to share the gospel. And again, this doesn't rule out getting help, doesn't mean relying on family and friends and church at time to time, but it's not our main dependence. Our main dependence should be on God. Our second should be on trying to take care of things ourselves. ourselves. And if God decides to bless us or we need help from time to time, there's nothing wrong with that. But do our best to be, we should do our best to be self-sustaining. And is it any wonder that the world wants more and more government to depend on? Because you know what? We're designed to primarily d- depend on a higher power. But we have to walk it out. Because you know what? We're designed to be stewards. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I encourage you to read it later. It's kind of long, so I'm not going to read it now. But 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, and it says in 27, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophet, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And he he says, Are all each of these? But know and earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And man, being good at the practical things with a spiritual mindset is a gift from God. To administer, to organize, to help others. Helps to give the practical things, to make sure the practical things get distributed to those who are in need. That's a spiritual gift. We're designed that way. The Garden of Eden. They're there to take care of the garden. And we did a real good job of that. But you know what? Without his spirits, without his commands, his morals, all we are are wasters. And the point of that area in uh, Corinthians 12, I believe, is that the biggest practical purpose is the church working together as it should, spiritually led by God, spiritually endowed with gifts, that have practical and spiritual effect on those around them. Because is it really practical reaching the lost when church bodies don't work together? When they won't get together and do things together? When they're each worried about their own kingdom? Is it any wonder revival hasn't happened? I'm not saying it's dependent on it, but I have to wonder if there's nothing practical to support it. When it does, is God just saying, I want to save all these people, and I will in a way, but I'm not going to, Bring a revival if you guys aren't ready to take care of it, if you guys are going to hurt them and that they won't last. But it can. In Acts, thousands of people saved and the church grew. So I'm not saying it is, but I have to wonder in America why we may not see the spiritual things we want to see if we're not taking care of the practical things we can already see. And again, I'm not saying be social justice to the point of not sharing the gospel and putting that ahead of the gospel. I'm saying, is man, God has given us a lot to be good stewards of, and I wonder how good of stewards we all are being. And with that, we cannot equate a large church with God's moving. We cannot equate a small church with God's absence. Sadly, it's quite the opposite. But again, the physical appearance, the practical 
appearance cannot be used as a sole factor in determining God's blessing. But back to being stewards. Uh, there's a reason God says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Men, I think in general, adults, and whole, were to put away childish things. I remember when God gave me that verse about playing video games in my 20s. Not that I don't play from time to time with my kids, my family. I, I'd sit down and maybe I'd play for a little bit once in a while, and then I go, this is so pointless. It's such a waste. But I didn't used to think that. It used to be, I used to be able to enjoy it more. I enjoy playing with my kids. You know, from time to time, I played with friends in the past, but it's not something I live for like I used to, not something I purchase and spend my money on. Imagine I spent $400 on a new Xbox and $80 a month on a game or more than that. I spent hours and hours doing it every, every month. Well, maybe I wouldn't be able to afford that car payment. Maybe I wouldn't be able to, to do that extra work I need to do to take care of what I need to take care of. Or even just spend time with my kids. And I think perhaps a big problem with adults living with their parents these days, because they're not kids still living with their parents when you're in your 30s. You're an adult, dependent on them. And you should be, my most accounts, providing for your own children at that time. That's not politically correct. <laughs> Practically, look at the world. If you think, even if you think we're evolved from apes, look what do apes do? They grow up and they have kids. They don't go around and play in the jungle all day. So why are you going around and playing all day? I think it's because we stopped having being children. We haven't grown up and put away the childish things in our lives. And maybe that's why our needs haven't been met. Maybe that's why our relationships are barren. Because we don't take them seriously. We're not committing like a kid wouldn't commit. It's been said to give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. That's very true. And many times we just want to meet the physical needs of the poor. And that's good. That's very good. Especially if you do it to bring the gospel. Because you can feed them and then they'll die. And then what's the point? Feed them and bring them the gospel that they might have eternal life. But what is the best is meeting that true need. Giving them that opportunity for eternal life. And then giving them the tools to not be enslaved to poverty. Like the ministry that I went to a little uh, meeting for. That's what they're doing. They're rescuing these girls out of slavery. They're bringing them in and, and helping them get healed uh, emotionally and spiritually, physically even. And then they begin to teach them education and skills and they're building schools for them to then go out and not be stuck in that cycle and be able to go out and get jobs and work and, and help others. And their community is actually changing. Because from there, practical purpose, wisdom, education, training skills is what they really need to meet their own needs so they're not dependent on handouts and really ultimately help others. First Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may lack nothing. God says be quiet. Stop running around trying to live a wild partying life. Just calm down and just quietly live life. It's better. It's more fulfilling. It's less stressful. It's enjoyable. The difference between East Coast life and West Coast life. Or even, or, you know, maybe Midwest and mountainous life. But starting your own business. I wish, 
I thought about this younger. I kind of did when I was younger, but I never pursued it. But man, I want to encourage my kids, if all possible, start your own business. Find something you love to do, and I'll help you do it. That's the time to do it when you're younger, and you can learn and do these things and not have all these other bills you have to take care of, but you're free to be a starving artist and build up your business. That's fantastic. Why? Because you will have financial freedom. Yeah, the market may change. Maybe no one wants to buy your stuff, um, and it's going to be a lot of work. But you know what? You're not going to have to work for anyone else. No one can fire you. Uh, and you'll be rewarded. And even then from there, you'll be able to give jobs to other people. That's huge. You know, it's not for everyone, for sure. But I definitely think that there is something very spiritual, even very Christ-like about a Christian who is quiet, who works hard, who provides for themselves, maybe has their own business, that they don't have any lack in life, and that they might bless and provide for others. There's people I know who have lots of money and are believers, and they're always taking care of others around them, and they're always uh, hospitable and sending others to do ministry. But again, the spiritual need is always greater than the physical need. If we have the physical, the practical, but not the spiritual, like the scripture says, we're naked and poor and wretched and blind, and we don't even know it. But if we have the spiritual provision, even like Paul did, uh, the, physical is lack, the physical lack is something that God will get us through. Or maybe... We'll have to deal with it our whole life. Like Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to heal you of this. you got to go through this. But my grace is sufficient for you. Again, we cannot equate practical provision with God's blessing. And we cannot equate practical lack with God's absence. As with most application of God's truth, I believe it's a third option. An option that's higher than that. That his presence is our provision. Isaiah 55, 8-13 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, practical, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, meeting their needs practically, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth and shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please spiritually and it shall prosper in the thing for which i sent it for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and shall be to the lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off that when we have god's word direct from his mouth the things that used to be thorns begin to turn into thistles and i mean into trees and grow up before us Think of Nehemiah building the wall. He was depressed about Jerusalem. Practically, the king asked him what's wrong, and he's bold enough in the spirit, a quick prayer, to ask him to go. The king could have killed him, but the king sends him and gives him money and supplies. This worldly king is practically used to fulfill his spiritual calling to rebuild Jerusalem. And even then, when they need protection, do they just sit around and pray? No, they have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. And I say, practically, do you want God to protect you? pray. I do. And you know what? God will. But one way he might practically do that is by you getting your concealed carry permit or keeping a shotgun in your home and locking your doors. Perhaps even if the oppressive government comes for your children, you might have a way to protect them like a godly parent should. Oh no, I'll just sit by and pray that God will protect me from the attackers coming in my home. Well, you know what? So will I. But at least I'll have something practical to stop them with if it comes down to that. God didn't show up. God didn't save my children. 
Well, sluggard, you didn't prepare beforehand. You didn't get new locks for your doors. You didn't learn how to use the gun. You thought guns were bad and that God was against guns and violence. Well, God, God is not a violent God for the sake of violence, but when it comes to protecting his people, when it comes to enforcing righteousness, sometimes violence is the only answer. Seek God practically before that protection becomes outlawed. Or before you find yourself at the last minute in need, like I did with my brakes not working. God, why? Well, maybe if I took care of my car a little better and stopped going to the diner, I might have had those brakes. Don't wait for that person to break in to begin praying about God protecting you. Because remember, we are stewards of all that we are given in life. Our family, our faith, and our freedom. But Psalm 50, 7 through 15 says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, God doesn't need your tithe. He's got everything in the world, but perhaps you and I lack because we haven't tithed, because we haven't given much. Well, how does that practically make sense? I'm giving $100 a month and I can't get by. Now you want me to give $10 a month that I don't have and I only have 90 Yes. God expects it. God wants it. God commands it. And I'll even tell you by experience that whatever amount you tithe, God's blessing will always far exceed it. It's not always a monetary value. But I can tell you what, I have more in life now than I could have ever had in my own but it, sometimes, effectively, practically, it starts with a 10% pay cut. You want to you get by practically better? Well, you need to spiritually take 10% of that at least and, and give it away to him. And not to a friend, not to a ministry, to the church you go to. And from there, give to others. You know why? Because it will teach you dependence on him. It will show you that you, even more not to waste your money, that extra 10 well, I'll wait till the end of my paycheck. No, no, no. Do it right away, the first paycheck. I used to be very practical about it. Go out to the bank and take out the money right away. But now I do it right away. I write a check. I make sure, even if the check doesn't come out for a week, I make sure that it's off on my statement, on my balance, so that I know that this money's gone. It's not in there. I'm not to count on it. You learn to give. You get to have a part in his kingdom, heavenly and earthly. Get to see it work and move and God move and have a part in that. You begin to learn to be more frugal. And perhaps it even encourages you to organize and better take care of what you have. That, and after all, it's still 90%. The federal government and your taxes want over 30%. And if you're following all the news lately and you're, you want to vote Democrat and left, they want way more than 30%. And you can't give God 10%. Trust me, it'll pay off way more dividends. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know why? The whole point of tithing is not that God gets richer. He doesn't want a gold-plated chapel. But what he wants is your heart in heaven and your hands at work here. 
And Jesus said to them in Luke 9, 62, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. It's important to give and support the ministry, even if they do work already. Even if the pastor works, you know what? I guarantee he needs more money. Even if that missionary has a job and has support, I guarantee they could use a little bit more. And even if they don't have any more bills, maybe they need a vacation. Or maybe they just need something nice that they don't have and they wouldn't seek on their own and it might bless them. But I didn't expect my pastor to work. It was honorable and something to look up to that he did and it was necessary and practical for him, just like what Paul said. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't want our pastors or demand our pastors or missionary friends and ministries focused on working all day. How are they getting the practical things of the ministry done if they're busy doing the practical things of life every day? And they have to. We all have these things. But sincerely, if God's called them to work, God's called them to work in the ministry and God's called us to work in a job, well, we should be supporting them and sending them. And part of that comes through tithe. If the church isn't tithing, how will the pastor get by? I, you know, I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, you know, if God brings more people to the church, that'd be great, you know, but I don't need to stop working. Maybe, maybe I couldn't right away. Maybe I couldn't for 10 years, but at the point it does come, who says I have to? Just because the tithe has reached a certain amount, why does it mean I need to take a salary and quit my job? Well, maybe it does. Because 1 Timothy 5, 7 through 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. That someone who's doing well in the ministry should be paid for it. It's, they're doing work, and God respects that and wants to honor that. But you know what? It doesn't mean that as soon as there's enough in there, as soon as the tithe amount matches my current paycheck, that I should begin taking all the tithe. Not at all. Not at all. Not even close. I used to receive a stipend in New York for doing ministry, and it was a blessing. It helped me pay rent. But do I need more than that? No. God knows our needs. I still worked. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I won't read it for time, but Paul is talking about that the, the, uh, they wanted to give him a, a blessing, but they didn't have the opportunity. And finally they were able to, and they, and they blessed him. And, God, and Paul says, I didn't need it or demand it, but you gave it to me anyway. You came together and you gave it. And you know what? It was a blessing, and I pray that your reward is great for it. You know, because now this ministry has fruit because of you. Like when I was at the meeting, they were talking about every little dollar you give. We wouldn't be able to buy these uh, spy glasses to record people uh, trying to make an offer for a girl that we might be able to prosecute them. We'd be able to pay the girl to be on the street if you didn't give. And that's absolutely true. A lot of times ministry doesn't happen because we're not giving to the ministry. We don't, we don't really care about it happening. Even if we say we do, we practically don't. But as we close here, if you don't know how to be practical... Do you lack that wisdom? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without approach. And he says, don't doubt it when God gives it to you. Basically do it. James is all about doing the word of God. And he even goes on to say, that let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. You know that being rich isn't the end all be all. It's not the point of being practical and a good steward is not to get rich. It's just to be a good steward and perhaps be in a place where we might bless others. And Proverbs 6, 1 through 5 talks about someone who's caught into a debt, caught into cosigning in something and they shouldn't be. So what does it say? Do this, my son, deliver yourself. 
Don't just sit there and pray. Get up early in the morning. Don't give sleep to your eyes. As soon as you can, go there and plead and do whatever you got to do to get out of that deal. That's practical. God's not just going to magically cancel it. You got to get up and do it. If you're that convicted over something, get up as early as you can and handle it. And with that, getting up, read Proverbs, read Ecclesiastes, obviously read the whole Bible, read it over and over again. Even if practically you know what it says, read it again, read it again. And I love these areas of scriptures and Psalms for morning time with the Lord because I'm foolish. I'm unwise. Even this week, I'm like, God, I have no idea what to do. Will you please tell me what to do? Because I'll make a mistake. And hopefully as we do that, that little bit of wisdom rubs off on us. And I can say even the little bit that's rubbed off on me has paid back back huge spiritually and uh, practically. Because God gives us salvation and he will guide us through sanctification. I believe in some way that salvation is the spiritual driver, but sanctification, the tearing away and putting on the new man and, and handling this life from this life to the end, is, is its practical purpose. So in heaven, there's no really no more purpose to be you being saved other than you're in heaven now and now you get to worship God forever. But practically, there's a lot of things that need to be done on earth that aren't perfect. And through sanctification and practical carrying out of spiritual things, we'll begin to bring a little bit more of heaven on earth. Because we're in heaven, everything's done. We get to serve God and worship in heaven, but there's no iniquity to be made up for. There's no sin to be corrected in heaven. And the practical purpose is to serve God. The practical purpose is to free of serving unrighteous things, to be free of debt, to love others, to protect them, to provide for them. The practical purpose is to be so heavenly minded that we are no worldly good. But that when we do our good on earth, we practically carry out the spiritual that people might come and see the Father. Like Jesus said, do your good works before men that they might come and see your Heavenly Father. And Heavenly Father, we we thank you for all that you've given us spiritually. That God, we can know you spiritually. God, we thank you that as your word says, uh, that you care about every little detail. And God, that you give us wisdom for these things. And God, we don't want to be dependent on what we know how to do. We want to forsake our wisdom and learn from you. So God, give us wisdom. And God, would you meet the practical needs of of our needs, those people around us, the people in our lives that have lost a lot and and have a big practical need. Would you meet their need even today? Uh, And God, help us be better stewards of all that you've given us, not just the practical, not just the earthly, which fades away and goes away, and one day is and another day is gone, but to be good stewards of your spirit, of the gifts you've given us, and most of all, our relationship with you and uh, what you did for us on the cross, God. So let your word go forth, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and let us have our hands to the plow, we pray, in practical ways. In Jesus' name, amen.